I'm Keenan Heidi, Donation Consultant with Donor Alliance. And I'm Claire Talon, Donation Consultant with Donor Alliance. And you're listening to Transforming Lives, the Donor Alliance podcast. Welcome to a new episode of Transforming Lives, the Donor Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Keenan Heidi, along with Claire Talon, my coworker and great colleague. Uh, joining us today is Serena Altamirano, the Donor Services Manager here at Donor Alliance. Serena, welcome. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me today, Keenan. Um, my name is Serena Altamirano. I've been the Donor Services Manager with Donor Alliance for about three years now. Um, I started at Donor Alliance about six years ago in the Tissue Donor Coordinator role. Um, my background, my education is in biology, and um, prior to Donor Alliance, I was a call taker at Denver 911, and I did some um, casework with adults with developmental disabilities. So, um, you know, on the weekends, I'm a softball mom, so traveling a lot and watching a lot of softball. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. We're learning so much about our coworkers through this podcast. It's been great. Um, thanks for sharing that. And while you're sharing, do you happen to have a personal connection to donation that you wanted to share with the group today? Yeah, happy to share. Thank you for asking. Um, I didn't used to when I started at Donor Alliance. I didn't have a connection to donation. I just felt um, a calling to work at a place where I could serve a mission and, and serve my community in a way. Um but I do now. Uh, a couple of years ago, my father-in-law was placed on the kidney transplant waiting list. So the work that I do, um, I think the meaning of that all changed when he got on the transplant waiting list. So um, he's very near and dear to my heart. And um, the whole family supports the mission. And they go to the donor dash and all of that. And um, they're also proud that I work here. And um, yeah, so we're just going to keep waiting and hoping. So he is still on the waiting list. Um, He's actually going through some testing right now. He's had some challenges. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of his status as of late. Yeah, it, it must be nice for your family to have someone who understands the process a little bit and the ins and outs of it. It can probably be a bit of a tough journey to navigate. So you having that extra little bit of wealth of knowledge has probably been really reassuring for everyone. Yes, yes. You know, they had a lot of questions at the beginning, even, you know, getting on the waiting list. They had a lot of questions about what does this mean? Um, you know, who do we talk to? And, you know, with with kind of what he's been going through, each family member kind of has their little niche and their little expertise, area of expertise for him. So it has been nice to kind of be that point person for them and just to be able to access, you know, my colleagues for additional information and support. It's been nice. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so as the donor services manager, you work on the tissue side of our donor services umbrella. Um, could you tell us what the clinical triggers are for a, t a tissue referral and when a hospital needs to give us a call? Yeah, it's actually quite simple for tissue donation and quite different than organ donation. The clinical trigger for tissue is cardiac time of death. Um, so whenever that happens, the hospital uh, will call us in with that time of death. Is there a time frame in which that call needs to be made? Uh, yes, within one hour of the time of death, the call needs to be made for the referral. Okay, and who can call in a tissue referral? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, anyone really. Hospitals report all cardiac time of deaths that happen in their hospital, um, but it can be a chaplain, it can be a nurse, it can be a physician. Um, we also have coroners that call in um, referrals to us, funeral homes, and even sometimes families can call those in. 
So who is involved in the screening process? When a hospital staff member makes that initial referral, what does that process look like? Yeah, so there's several organizations that are involved in the screening process. When the hospital calls, um, they're actually calling our third-party organization that answers the, and triages those calls for us. They're called Statline. So they take some demographic information from the nurse or whoever's calling from the hospital. Um, they take that information and they page it out to the appropriate party. And so that can mean several different things. Sometimes it's Donor Alliance. Um, sometimes it's Donor Alliance specifically for organ. Sometimes, again, that clinical trigger, cardiac time of death, that would be a page out to our tissue team. And then also the Rocky Mountain Lions Eye Bank is involved, so they're notified on all of those pages as well so that they can begin their screening process. Why are there so many questions for tissue donors? Um, so there are kind of three big buckets that I can break that out into. Um, first, tissue donation is a regulated process. So um, screening questions, um, asking medical history, um, kind of the, the course of admit, um, the, the cause of death, all of those things are helping us to determine um, the eligibility and ultimately ensure safety for the recipients. Um, second, the TDCs also, the TDCs, I say, tissue donor coordinators at Donor Alliance, um, they must also gather information about the family. So um, was this a sudden death? How is the family doing? Did they make it into the hospital? Have they been notified of the death? Um, who's the next of kin? Um, who's the legal next of kin? Um, all of those things are important for us to know because we're going to call them and give them some information about donation as well. Um, it's best that we have as much background information as possible um, to have a good conversation with them. Um, and that third bucket is really just all of the logistical things that have to happen for donation to happen. Um, we transport most of our donors to our recovery center, so we need to know, um, you know, can we re can they release the body to Donor Alliance? We also need to know things like funeral home selection. Um, is there coroner involvement? What time can we pick up? Um, we also need to know cooling time. So what time did you transport them down to your morgue? So all of those are kind of the logistical things that happen behind the scenes. So I would say that that's kind of the three big uh, big areas that we need to get some information on. So can we talk a little further about this? You know, one of the questions I get quite a bit from the nurses in my hospitals are, uh, you know, gosh, I'm taking care of multiple patients. I, I don't know that I have enough time to answer all of these questions. Uh, you know, wh what is the bare minimum that you could ask to maybe uh, screen that donor? Or do the nurses or the folks calling in the referral have the ability to say, can you call me back when I have a little more time? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, our process has to be so fast, and so ultimately that's kind of where that call within one hour of cardiac time of death comes from. And from time of death to the time that we have to recover tissues is only 24 hours. That includes all of those logistical things that I talked about before. It includes contacting the family. Um, so really, it's best that we get that information as soon as we call. And we understand that the nurses and hospital staff are saving lives and they've got other patients to tend to um, and other other things going on. So, um, you know, 
if they need us to call them back, we certainly can do so. Again, we try to keep it to about, you know, within two hours. We want to get all of that information because we need to get things moving. Um, so if they need to, absolutely need to have us call back, we most certainly can. But we would like to get that information um, and that first call. Yeah, great. Now, along those lines, because, I, yeah, I hear the same thing in my hospitals, uh, Keenan, but are we able to check the patient's medical chart remotely or do any of that screening behind the scenes before we talk to hospital staff? Yeah, so the tissue donor coordinators don't have access to all of the EMRs at the hospitals. They do have access to Carrillo. So when they get that page from Statline, they um, it, that's their first step, is really to just open up the chart and read as much information as they can and try to obtain um, as much medical history as they can and answer all of the questions that are needed on our end. Um, any gaps, that's when we'll call the hospital and get that. And then, of course, logistical questions, questions about the family. Um, but I would say with that, uh, that information can be delayed. It's not real time. So the best information is going to come from that bedside nurse. And um, so we do always want to get um, confirmation or fill in any gaps by calling the hospital. Absolutely. It's great, though, that you're able to get some of that behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm, I think we're hearing that it, the process is going a little bit more quickly because you are getting some of that historical information prior to making the call. So that's great. That's good to hear. <laughs> so once a donor has been determined to be eligible, uh, who talks to the family about tissue donation? Um, that's another great question. So our hospital development staff, you guys, um, do a great job of educating um, designated requesters in some hospitals. So um, where we have those programs, the coordinators that are speaking to the nurses will sometimes ask if there's a designated requester available and ask them to speak to the family about donation. Um, really having that in-person conversation uh, has been really helpful for donor families. Um, and they're donation experts as well. They've been trained. They understand. So we really want those to be people that have taken the courses by our hospital development team. Um, if there isn't a designated requester available um, or if it's a hospital that doesn't have the program, the tissue donor coordinators, the same folks that are speaking with the nurses, will be um, the individuals that call those families back. Do they sometimes talk to the families while they're at the hospital or you know, how does that uh, conversation happen? Yeah, so typically um, I would say there's a couple of different ways. In, during the day, there's kind of a lot going on in the hospitals. The families are talking to the nurses, the chaplains, getting everything kind of wrapped up there. So the, the tissue donor coordinators will give them a little bit of time to do that and make a follow-up call to the hospital just to check how things are going um, and sometimes ask the nurse, would you mind, are they in an okay place? Um, can you hand the phone to them or can you introduce me to them? Um, so we'll do it that way. That happens a lot at night because the tissue donor coordinators like to catch them while the family's still kind of awake and alert and communicating with everyone before they go home and go to bed. Um, and during the day, they typically will make that phone call back later. Okay, thank you. So that can be definitely a big decision for a family to make if their loved one hasn't registered, put themselves on the um, organ, tissue, and eye donation registry. Um, so when they are making that decision for a non-registered donor, how long does a family have to make that? What does the timeline look like for that? Yeah, that's a great question as well, and I think that goes back to our time frame of that 24 hours. Um, 
again, including screening, coordinating logistics with our partners, communicating with the hospital. Um, after we call the families back, we do work with them and give them as much time as we can um, and let them know of our time frame. Um, and we just want to make sure that we give them all of the information so that they can make an informed decision. Sometimes that does require families to think on it for a couple of hours. Um, but really, again, we're working against that 24-hour time period. Are there any additional kind of questions or screening that you do with the family once they've made that decision to, to have their loved one be a tissue donor? Yeah, that's another great question. So uh, speaking with the hospital and reviewing um, the charts as we can, that's just the first step of screening. Um, the next step of the screening after we obtain authorization with the family is to go through a donor risk assessment with them. Um, it takes around 30 minutes that's depending on the patient's medical history uh, but we do ask some in-depth questions of the family um, medical history social history some behavioral and travel history as well how many tissue donor cases does your sc uh, team screen every year and then out of those how many in fact become tissue donors so year to date we've screened over 7,000 referrals this year this year wow in 2021, we screened over 11,000. Holy cow. For the whole year? For last the whole year, year last oh, wow. year. Yeah. And uh, for 2021, uh, 2,076 individuals were tissue donors. And this year, we're at about 1,200 tissue donors for the year. Wow. Uh, how many staff members do you have? Um, currently, we have 18. And so, um, anywhere from three to five on shift or in a 12 hour shift at a time. Amazing. So you guys are a little busy. It can get busy. <laughs> so along those lines, what tissues can be recovered um, and transplanted? Yeah. Donor Alliance facilitates recovery of uh, bone tissue. Um, so that includes upper body bone and the soft tissue, lower body bone and the soft tissue, as well as vertebral segments. Um, that soft tissue would include things like tendons, ligaments, um, and we also facilitate skin graft, um, recovery of skin grafts, heart valves, and vascular tissue. And where do those recoveries take place? Uh, recoveries take place here at our Donor Alliance Recovery Center in the Lowry area um, near Denver. 99% um, of our recoveries take place there very rarely we will go on site to maybe a hospital or a funeral home, maybe a coroner's office. Um, we can make that happen, but most of our recoveries happen here at our own facility. Serena, do you have any special instructions or thoughts for our hospital partners? No special instructions. I would just say that every referral is different and we do our best to communicate proactively and just make sure that all partners and stakeholders are well informed. Um, we're stewards of a most precious gift, and we really can't do what we do without hospitals and without that collaboration and kind of sharing of information. Um, so no special instructions. I would just say thank you for your patience and collaboration. Oh, great. So a question, you mentioned our uh, designated requester classes that we do in the hospitals, and I think a question we probably get often and from nursing staff is, can someone be a tissue donor even if the coroner is involved? 
we get that question a lot. I hear that a lot from our coordinators as well. The answer is yes. Um, we get information about coroner involvement on that phone call to the hospital. Um, and then from there, if the coroner's involved, we communicate with them directly and work with them. Sometimes we can recover tissues prior to autopsy, and sometimes they do their autopsy, and we can recover tissues after. Great. Thank you. Now, you had mentioned there were a lot of tissues that could be recovered. Uh, is it possible to have a viewing after all of those tissues have been recovered for transplant? Yeah, so tissue donation is possible even if the family would like to have a viewing. Um, it is important for us to know if they're choosing to have a viewing or if they're considering it. Um, but even if they choose to have a viewing, we just um, sort of change our recovery process a little bit to accommodate uh, the funeral homes. Um, but it is definitely possible, and we don't interfere um, you know, we, we make every attempt to not interfere with the timing of any arrangements, funeral arrangements or anything like that, because our process happens in that 24-hour time period. We work with the funeral homes very quickly to, to make sure that their loved one is transported into their final, dispo final disposition. You know, and that got me thinking about a couple of other things. You had mentioned that the recoveries happen at the Donor Alliance Recovery Center. Most of them happen uh, here. Uh, who pays? Do the, does the family have to pay for the transport? And then do the families have to pay the funeral home for any additional work that may happen after a tissue recovery? Yeah, that's a question we get a lot from the families. Um, so there is no charge at all for the donation. Donor Alliance um, incurs all of the charges that are charges and transports that are donation related. The family would be responsible for any charges outside of that. So Donor Alliance doesn't uh, cover any funeral arrangements. They don't cover any cremation or anything like that. Um, and the family is also still responsible for any transportation as if Donor Alliance were involved. And that's what we like to communicate is any cost that you would have incurred if donation would have never taken place. Thank you for clarifying that. We get that question a lot as well in those um, designated requester training classes. Um, this has been really great. Is there anything else that we should know about tissue donation? Anything we didn't cover today? <laughs> I don't have anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Keenan, do you have any additional questions? I can't think of any. Uh, if I do, I'll just give you a call a little bit later and uh, we'll uh, edit this in. Travis, our producer, will help do that. But uh, no, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I know you're AOC, and so you've got a lot of other commitments today. And Claire and I and Sunday and Travis want to thank you so much for being a part of this. No problem. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this and getting information out there to everyone about more about donation. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Transforming Lives, the Donor Alliance podcast. If you have any questions or any ideas for a show, send us an email to podcast at donoralliance.org.